Old School Lane Casual Chats is brought to you by OldSchoolLane.blogspot.com and is associated with Channel Frederator, Manic Expression, The Comic Book Cast, and The Araminta Show. Episode of Casual Chats. Happy Halloween. I am Patricia and I am back uh, for the first time in a, w- a long while with that long haired creepy guy. So welcome back, creepy. Hello and thank you for having me. So last time I discussed about the original 1991 series, Are You Afraid of the Dark? with Andrew and Joey from The Big Orange Couch. And I alluded to that I was eventually going to be talking about the 2019 uh, miniseries reboot that came out over the past couple of weeks. And so um, as of the making of this podcast, uh, the third part released about a few days ago, and we decided that we were going to give our thoughts and our opinions on it. So um, Creepy, right before we do, um, how did you first get introduced to Are You Afraid of the Dark? Well, like most people, I think, it was a show that aired on Nickelodeon in the early, early 90s. I, we actually, I lived in, on a farm way out in the countryside growing up. So, and it was, it's an area of the state that to this day does not have cable. It doesn't have cable. It doesn't have high speed internet. If you live in that part of the country, you either have to have satellite internet or you have to, have dial up still believe it or not and it's uh if you want more than four channels you have to have satellite like a like a direct tv or or dish network or something like that but um every so often we would go visit my sister and she had cable so i was able to you know like and i would just binge watch nickelodeon and any other cable network that i was able to, you know, I would just basically gorge myself on all the really, I thought what I thought were really, really great shows at the time, you know, that were not available to me. And Are You Afraid of the Dark was like one of the most consistent things that would seem like it was on Nickelodeon, especially, you know, on the, like once once you get like past five six o'clock that either are you afraid of the dark would be on or they were in the early years of Nickelodeon it would be Nick at night when they ran really really old TV shows from the 50s and 60s oh excuse right. me mm-hmm. and uh and I don't know there was just something about are you afraid of the dark that stuck with me I was not allowed a lot of access to horror or anything involving the supernatural growing up. So that's probably a reason why it was so it it was so memorable. It was a horror slash supernatural show that was specifically targeted at young people. I do know that, you know, like nowadays people have come forward and said that they kept watching the show even after they got older, you know, when they were kind of outside the target demographic, they still watched the show up until it was canceled because they just thought it was a really good show overall. It was interesting. And, you know, and plus, like a lot of people, I think I was fascinated by the idea of the Midnight Society where, you know, just a group of kids, they're in different 
schools or social circles or neighborhoods, but they all meet in this one place, and once a week, after it gets dark, they tell spooky stories to each other, and I don't know, that to me, that just seemed kind of (laughs) cool. Yeah, it it did, for sure. It, It kind of felt like you were part of the Midnight Society whenever you would watch an episode every week. There were fan forums that called themselves that. They were, you know, like if you typed in Midnight Society in the early days of search engines, you would probably get a bunch of fan pages for Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, the the announcement, uh, yeah, so Are You Afraid of the Dark, as mentioned uh, in the last podcast, it ran from 1991 all the way up to till uh, 2000. But they actually did a shift and change by um, around 1994, 1995, when the old, the, when the original cast got too old, and then they swapped it out around like 1997 or 1998 for the new generation. This is when uh, Gary's little brother Tucker became the leader, and he had four of his friends join the Midnight Society. And most people um, tend to either, you know, dismiss that um, that um, revival run, as they call it, from. Um, you know, season seven through ten. Um, uh, well, I mean, the you know the uh, the revival run, or you know, they kind of um, switch over to Goosebumps, which was also playing around that same time. I think that probably that's you know, for a lot of people, they bring up theories that that's probably the reason why they brought back Are You Afraid of the Dark after a few year hiatus because Goosebumps was coming out and it was starting to become a lot popular for the kids. Right. And there was a lot of debate over, of course, which show is better. You know, you have the purists who are like, no, no, Are You Afraid of the Dark came first and it's best. And then there's like, no, Goosebumps is best because it was created by R.L. Stein and based on his work and so forth. And I honestly, I was more of a fan of Are You Afraid of the Dark than I was of Goosebumps. But I do remember that Goosebumps started coming out like... Within a within a few years, it was a couple of years after Are You Afraid of the Dark had air, started airing. It Are You Afraid of the Dark was in its uh, heyday, was in its strong point when Goosebumps aired, and I really do th- think kind of that maybe that was Fox's, especially the Fox Kids block. That was their way of trying to go to war with Nickelodeon by like not only having their own horror anthology show, but having one that was based on what was then a very, very lucrative uh, series of books aimed at young people. Yeah, and then even before then, even before both of them, we had Tales from the Crypt on HBO. Right. Well, that's the funny thing about it is that, you know, I, I do know a lot of young people who watch Tales of the Crypt when they were way considered way too young you know it's it's like i hear a lot of people how they react to the idea of young people watch you know like there are these horror shows that are on tv now that have like two or three different warnings between you know during commercial breaks you know about how this this material may not be suitable for younger viewers we recommend you watching it with a family right right (laughs) and i'm just like oh man we never got anything like that you turn on tales of the crypt and within like 10 minutes you'd see boobs a sex scene and someone getting eviscerated on camera (laughs) (laughs) and i'm just like yeah we didn't have those but are you know like the interesting thing are you afraid of the dark and 
uh, goosebumps. They definitely, definitely had to tone. Well, they had to tone down the, you know, the level of gore. Certainly, well, for one thing, Tales from the Crypt aired on. I think it was HBO, which was like not part of the standard package. You had to actually ask for it and pay for it before you got HBO. But, uh, but you know, they had to tone it. uh, Nickelodeon and Fox had to tone it down, but they were still able to pull off some very, very creepy episodes. And, you know, again, there was this feeling like Tales from the Crypt was ostensibly for air quotes for adults. But there was this feeling like that Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark was made for kids. But with the understanding that kids could handle scary stories, horror stories. Yeah, so for sure. there was the, so there was that feeling that the show was maybe giving young people a little bit of the benef- a little benefit of the doubt, you know, that they were more mature than adults were giving them credit for, at least when it came to the type of material that they were absorbing. Um, I'll never forget the laughing. Uh, talking about scary episodes, I'll never forget laughing in the dark. But I think that's like something for later on or a different podcast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, I think that uh, for the most part, um, anthology series were definitely, you know, for kids were very popular in the 90s. But then when the 2000s hit, I guess because of oversaturation and the fact that we had, you know, Harry Potter and Animorphs and uh, this is when the fantasy genre started to be getting popular, it kind of just died out even though that Arl Stein did continue with his uh series like Goosebumps 2000 it, it didn't really gain the same audience again it didn't it does seem like as the 90s died there was a shift in the in the genre focused when it, you know the what was being targeted for the young demographic it was more fantasy and magic and less outright scares and horror and so forth and I, and yeah, you know, I don't, I, you know, thinking of it, just sitting here trying to think about it, I can't really name off the top of my head any horror related material that came out after 2000. You know, it's, it's just, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, it's really hard to think about something that, you know, catered to the horror genre for the, you know, a horror anthology series for kids. I guess it, you know, as mentioned earlier, that, you know, times have changed and people were getting into the fantasy genre. That was when, you know, the Spider Man and X Men movies started coming out. So they were into superheroes. So I guess that, you know, the, it kind of like died for like a good couple of years. I, I think that maybe for like almost 10, 15 plus years later, then we would have a resurgence of horror again. We've had a lot more anthology series that has been coming out just a few years later, uh, a few years ago, like, um, you know, the um, the Twilight Zone just had its first season aired, Creepshow is airing on Shudder, um, and, uh, and, you know, and for today's topic, we have the Are You Afraid of the Dark three-part miniseries. <laughs> oh, man. I... I'll be honest with you, I wasn't sure I was going to, like, really, really get into this when I first heard about it. I was hopeful. I'll be honest. I was like, there was a part of me that was really excited by the idea of it, but I was still kind of hesitant a little bit because I was like, yeah, but a lot of these revivals or reboots or whatever tend to be hit or miss. But I went into it with the idea that I should, at the very least, give it the benefit of the doubt. 
Nickelodeon has been hitting home runs whenever they've been rebooting their classic shows lately. The Legend of the Hidden Temple movie was pretty decent. It actually told a really interesting story going into Olmec and um, also going into how they were able to implement like the teams, like the Blue Barracudas and the Green Monkeys and stuff like that. It had a hilarious joke involving with the Shrine of the Silver Monkey. And <laughs> yeah, I, I think I mentioned this on Live and Wired where Decker was asking, hey, did they actually make a joke about the Shrine of the Silver Monkey? And I was like, oh, yeah, there was this one scene where they had to, like, put the monkey together. That way they can be able to get a clue about, you know, what they need to do for the temple when they go inside and get the treasure. And it took them, like, all night to get it together. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, no one could solve that thing. And I just remember, you know, like, I would tell, I would remind myself, you know, when I was watching that show that, uh, that like, you know, okay, when, when watching someone do something and actually doing it yourself is not the same thing. So I would try and keep that in mind. But after so many episodes of watching so many people get stumped by the Shrine of the Silver Monkey, I just I, I just wanted to scream at the television, It's the head! It's the freaking head! It goes on top! Right, right. <laughs> oh man, that was just so hard. That was just the hardest thing for anyone to do. Yeah, uh, for sure. And then there was the Jungle movie that came out that um, a lot of people felt pretty satisfied with knowing the conclusion of what happened with Arnold's parents. Exactly. Then we had um, the ones that came out this year, which were Rocco's Modern Life, Static Kling, Invader Zim, Enter the Florpus, and Dora and the Lost City of Gold, all of which had gotten surprisingly good reviews. Each one of them saying that, um, you know, we with Rocco's Modern Life, Static Kling, it brings up, you know, the previous, you know, it takes place right after the previous episode, which was Free Future Schlock. It takes place 20 years after that when they were wandering in through space and then they have to deal with modern technology and it, it actually delves into some pretty interesting things about nostalgia about uh people having to accept things the way they are now and uh i don't want to give off the plot twist if any if none of you guys have ever seen it but it does go through a change that nobody expected to see coming Mm -hmm. the, then we have Enter the Florpus, which, uh, you know, with Invader Zim, you expected it to be pretty insane. And yeah, it's pretty insane, of course. But it felt like it was going straight into what was, you know, what happened in the previous episodes of Invader Zim. It fits in so well. In fact, it's also a great standalone feature. Like, you don't even need to watch Invader Zim in order for you to get into in Enter the Florpus. It just does it so brilliantly that this awesome, like, two-minute anime intro and then there's also the door of the velocity of gold and we, which we actually did talk about in live and wired and we actually had our skepticism about it like really Dora is a high school student and she's going through school situations and all of this stuff but no I've actually know somebody who's seen the movie and he said it was really really funny because it doesn't take itself too seriously and he and he described it to me it was like the Brady Bunch movie and I was like I gotta watch it now oh man yeah. And so now we have this, uh, you know, the Are You Afraid of the Dark movie. So originally it was supposed to be a TV movie, just like all the others. But because they went through so many um, shooting and the, the story was so ambitious, they decided to split it into three parts. And so that's what we got now. And so I guess we can talk about the first part of the um, Are You Afraid of the Dark um, miniseries, which I believe is submitted for your approval of the Midnight Society. And um, yeah. 
yeah, the first thing that we are introduced to is this girl who is recently moving into Oregon. Her name is Rachel, and she's getting accustomed to all of the um, the the students there. She's getting accustomed to her school, and she's been having nightmares lately with a circus and with this creepy guy named Mr. Top Hat. And she's trying to figure out why. And so, you know, she's constantly drawing this guy from her nightmares. And one of the students by the name of Graham finds it in the garbage. And he takes a picture of it on his phone. And then he spreads it around to all of his other friends. And so that's when they decide to make an initiation of her joining the Midnight Society. Which I thought was really clever because it's the exact same way of how they got, I believe it was Stig into the Midnight Society where they covered him in a bag and the, and you know, they, they don't even know where he, uh, he doesn't even know where he's at because obviously, you know, they, they led him into the Midnight Society campfire and he has to tell a story. And if the story is good, they'll allow him in. But what the plot twist about this one is, is that she has to go through this, you know, forest late at night. Uh, well, no, the first thing that she does is that she has to complete a few tasks. She has to answer some questions like whether you want to be a vampire or a ghost and whether you want to do this thing or that thing. She gets it all right. And then finally, when she's led over to the meeting place of the Midnight Society, she has to uh, walk through a deep forest. She has to uh, go through a rowboat. Then she's captured by the Midnight Society. They're all wearing masks so that she can't see what they look like. She gets the, the, the bag on her head. They reveal it, and then she starts telling the story, which is a great reference to the original Are You Afraid of the Dark, but it's, you know, twisted in a way that is able to make it fresh and new. And I'm sorry, I was just, I was kind of shaking my head, but I was laughing, but I was also just like, okay, you've been getting secret messages in your locker for like a week, presumably now, and then someone tells you that they want you to go out into this area of the woods that you've never been to before, at night, and like, and tell no one that you're going there. Okay, you've presumably you have seen horror movies. This is an established thing that you have done, based you know that is a part of your characterization. So why are you doing this? And then of course she gets captured and has a bag put over her head, and she's taken to a re remote location. And just, there's just this part of my brain that is screaming. This isn't kids having fun. This is how they indoctrinate you into a cult. <laughs> yeah, I'm just expecting a seance to happen. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, okay, I mean, props for the show, for the episode actually demonstrating how creepy this is, you know? But I'm just kind of like, why is this girl that freaking out? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, have, I don't know. I, uh, I guess maybe because she, you know, she's been freaked out with the nightmares that she kind of know knows what to expect. And also, I think that, you know, we kind of get like a bit of a hint to, you know, who are some of the people because we did see them foreshadowed late, uh, earlier in the in the movie. Like, obviously, one is Graham, and yeah. then we have Akiko, and then. <laughs> She and then was we my favorite character. She was my favorite character. The entire conversation she has with her older brother, I was laughing the whole time. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she is like this pretentious filmmaker who is like blocking the street so that she can be able to film a zombie movie. And then she's treating all of her crew like shit. It's like... Um, you know, they give her a, they give her like two fake brains and it's like, which one do you want? And then she's like, the good one. <laughs> yeah. 
And then there's this one person who's about to give her coffee, and then she just shoves it away from their face. Yeah. Then you have the uh, slide. There was something about a bl- blood on a slide. Mommy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're all reports from the neighbors of explosions. Plural. <laughs> Armless pyrotechnics. Boom. <laughs> and then she just kind of rolls her eyes like, that's a wrap. <laughs> I, 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 la- I had to watch that scene like two or three times because I just could not stop laughing. Yeah. <laughs> that was just perfect. It, um, it was. It was for sure. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I, the other person who was there alongside with the Midnight Society was her next door neighbor, Gavin, who we first were introduced to when, um, you know, they were just moving in. And the mother is just like saying, hi there. How you doing? Oh, isn't he cute? Are you going to ask him on a date? He's like, mom, we just met. What do you want from me? I'm just like, what, what was her mother on? I'm sorry, but I don't think you can get that spastic and cheerful that early in the morning on just coffee yeah that's probably my one of my major gripes in this movie is that that mother is so cheerful it makes everything else just feel out of place it does it's it's like i think this is one of the like it's not a it's she's not in the show much like all that you know she's more of a peripheral background character but she does when she does show up is she is memorable but i feel like this is where the show's roots as a 90s tv series is beginning to show because you can tell that this was done by like this is the show trying to seem like it's from the 90s again but not in it but i feel like it misses the mark because instead of being charming it's just kind of irritating yeah, I mean, let's be honest. And I think I even said this in the original Are You Afraid of the Dark podcast with Andrew and Joey that most of the acting in Are You Afraid of the Dark are hit and miss. Like, mm-hmm. if you watch some of the episodes, some of the acting is so over the top or wooden that you can't take it seriously. Like, I mean, even with, like, uh, the um, the episode, you know, like, the tale of the Phantom Cab, where they're trying to solve Riddle so that they can be able to, um, you know, exit the cab or also be riding in it forever. And the, the, the boys that are playing in that role, like, they're supposed to be, like, uh, bullies to each other. Well, I mean, like the older brothers making fun of the younger brother, and their acting is so atrocious. And uh, I, I think that that's what they were trying to do. It's like you know, we're trying to go back into the '90s, and we have to have this over-the-top, you know, acting for the mother, kind of like how it sometimes was in the um, original series. Yeah. Yeah, it's just when I was listening to her, I was just like, the 90s have risen from the grave and have possessed this poor, poor woman. (laughs) And this is the result. (laughs) Yeah, but here's the thing. Like, Mr. Top Hat, I can see somebody who probably would have been from the 90s original series. But he does it in a way that is so charismatic and so chilling that it fits in perfectly. Mm -hmm. He... I, I wasn't as enamored of him, like, in the very first dream sequence. Okay, I, I liked it when he was, like, just out of sight, you know, or when you saw a shadow or something. I thought that was very well done. But when I saw his face for the first time, I was just like, okay. But then, Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, he doesn't look very scary. You thought he'd be, like, a monster or something. Or something, you know, that there would be 
kind of like at least one or two exaggerated facial features. But then, you know, just when she's telling her story version of him, he does come across as a bit more unsettling. And then, of course, you know, there's the scene where the little girl, you know, doesn't, you know, like she said, she tries to tell her parents uh, that the ticket taker doesn't have eyes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that was a genuinely creepy moment. I do have to admit. Now, I, I want to ask you something creepy because I did review. Uh, I did see reviews of uh, this. Uh, re- you know, the miniseries, and people are they they mostly praise it. But then there are some people who are mixed with it, saying that they miss the anthology part of Are You Afraid of the Dark, as opposed to like this being an adventure focusing on the Midnight Society. Now, what do you think? Now, personally, for me, I loved it. In fact, I even mentioned this a long time ago in my top 10 Nickelodeon shows that Hello? need to be ripped. Sorry? Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, uh, let me start again. I'm sorry. Okay, so I want to ask you a question, Creepy. So I first, I've read a lot of reviews on this uh, miniseries where a lot of people do praise it, but then there are some that actually say that I missed the anthology series part on the... Uh, miniseries that they should have had in the revival and I disagree with it I think that this was a great attempt of not only bringing in a new generation to watching it but also we get to know a lot about the Midnight Society a lot more I mentioned this a long time ago in my top 10 Nickelodeon shows that need to be remade and I mentioned that I wanted to see something like this happen and uh, you know, one of my favorite episodes of the entire series is the Tale of the Silver Sight, where the Midnight Society has to go through a supernatural thing that um, you don't. It doesn't involve with them sitting in a campfire telling stories. They're actually part of the adventure. So I like this. I really like this a lot because not only do we get invested into the characters, but we also, you know, see firsthand about the scares. And um, I think that that was a great decision that they decided to do. I liked it too. It it honestly, as as much as a nostalgia trip as the anthology aspect is for, especially where Are You Afraid of the Dark is concerned, I'm not a hundred percent sold on the idea that it would that that would go over as well today. Not because the anthology, the horror anthology genre is completely dead. Um, uh, American Horror Story is still going, you know, and it's it's not an episode-by-episode episode anthology series, but it's a seasonal anthology series. There's a, It's basically like each season is its own story. Um, there was also uh, The Haunting Hour, that came out uh, a few years ago that was based, that was, you know, it was called R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour, and it was an anthology show. But I think that if they had gone the anthology route, I think the reaction to it would have been a bit more lukewarm. It wouldn't have necessarily been awful, but I don't know that it would have been as warmly received for the simple reason that it would have felt like more of the same old thing. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think that um, what the others did, um, the other TV movies did, they actually did um, take some risk to actually not only bring the spirit of the original, but also cater it to a new generation. Like they could have easily done Legends of the Hidden Temple as like a game show revival, even though that those haven't been successful in 
over like close to 15 years like when was the last time that we had like a good um you know game show revival that a lot of people like tuned into i mean personally for me i really enjoyed um you know uh what you call it? I, I really enjoyed, you know, the Figure It Out revival, even though a lot of people hated it. And, and you know, and also, uh, you know, when it came to like uh, the more recent ones, I know that there have been like uh, kid versions of uh, what you call it. There were kid versions of the Wipeout game. There were kid versions of, uh, you know, American Ninja, but nothing that like really stuck out to me personally. I don't. I think that personally for me. The last really good Nickelodeon game show that we had gotten was, I mean, like, it's it's really hard to say. Like, there, there were a lot of them that I thought that was, you know, um, kind of, like, weak, in my opinion. But um, I think, uh, hold on, give me one second. Uh, I have this text message. What do you want? Okay, there we go. Sorry about that. Yeah, I think that the last time that we had a great original game show was, you know, uh, Brain Surge, hosted by Jeff Suffman. But that was like 10 years ago. So I think that, um, you know, doing a, a, a revival of, you know, Legends of the Hidden Temple might have been really good, especially since I think that that's probably one of their best Nickelodeon game shows out there but I think that you know trying to lure into a new audience especially with a TV movie that explains about like Olmec's story and the treasures and all that stuff I thought it was pretty clever and you know with um Hey Arnold the Jungle movie it was able to you know tell the story that everybody wanted to know about where was Arnold's parents but it was able to take it outside the neighborhood go over to San Lorenzo having to deal with La Sombra and there are some moments in which it can get pretty dark and you know with Rocco's Modern Life they've always been Huh? Very true. Yeah. And then there was Rocco's Modern Life Static Cling, in which um, they were able to push some things that they would have never pushed in the 90s. Like, um, I, there was a hint about, like, what their thoughts were about the LGBT community, but it was kind of, like, told in a joke. But, uh, again, I can't spoil it for those who haven't seen it yet, but they do kind of... Um, you know, teach about change, but it's done in a very tasteful and respectful way. And then with Invaders and Enter the Florpus, it is like incredibly insane and over the top, uh, what you would expect for a Joan and Vasquez project. But they, they were able to take it and just run with it. So, yeah, in order for Are You Afraid of the Dark to really stand out for a new generation, because remember, the last time that Are You Afraid of the Dark aired on TV... Uh, you know, the last episode, the last new episode was back in 2000. That was almost 20 years ago. So we're dealing with a new generation of kids who had never seen the original Are You Afraid of the Dark? I mean, we have students who are in college right now that don't even know about it because they weren't born when it was out. Right. And I do think that the one thing that the new series, The Revival, does which I'm a very big fan of this trope in general, is blurring the lines between fiction and reality. You know, the, the protagonist is this young girl who starts having nightmares, and so to try and make sense out of all of them, and, you know, maybe to give herself a feeling of control and power over them, she weaves them into a story. You know, she takes what is fr making her afraid, and she you know, turns it into into her own creation. And then, 
But then, of course, it turns out that what she was dreaming about wasn't just a bad dream. It was a warning. And now her story is coming to life. And while there are elements of truth into in woven into it, you can't rely on that as the gospel to help you get through a nightmare that's coming to life, literally. You know, right. I do I do like that that blurring of the line, so to speak. I do like that concept. And I do feel like that is something that is that works really, really well for something like the Midnight Society, which is a group of kids who are all have a have an interest in the supernatural and horror, and they all tell stories to one another. So the idea that one of their stories is coming to life and is effectively haunting them now, that fits incredibly well. Exactly. So, uh, okay, so continuing on. So we have Rachel telling the story, and so she gets accepted into the Midnight Society. But then we have a plot point in which one of her friends named Adam completely disappears, and she's looking for him. And while she's looking for him, there's the announcement of this carnival that's in town. And so they go over to the carnival, and they think that they see Adam in the crowds. And so... Um, Rachel is getting more and more concerned because the carnival and all of the things that are happening were part of her nightmare. And she's afraid that this is all coming to life. And even her friends are just concerned that, you know, everything that's going on is happening. So we have the group of people looking around for um, Adam to see if they can be able to locate him. They find Mr. Top Hat and, you know, he kind of like gives off this creepy... Um, you know, persona, and then he, you know, we hear throughout the entire uh, miniseries, it's like, it's all part of the show. It's all part of the show. So when a whole bunch of creepy things happen, like we have the one scene in which Louise and Graham are sitting on the Ferris wheel and the bolts are getting loose and they're about to fall down. And then we have Gavin and Rachel who are in the tunnel of love. And then you have that creature that's coming out of the water and is grabbing the boat and trying to shake them off. And uh, then everything just goes back to normal. And then they kept saying it's all part of the show. And so finally, when the carnival is done, they have absolutely no recollections of what happened. Nobody remembers it. Nobody um, remembers them going to the carnival. Nobody remembers that Adam was missing. The only person who remembers it is Rachel. And that's just why she gets a lot more concerned of what's going on. Right. And to me, that's actually one of the scarier aspects of this anthology of this revival is the idea that all of these things can happen, but then you're the only one who remembers it. You're the only one who knows for certain that this was, you know, that these events took place. And there's always that nagging doubt as well. And, you know, that we see, you know, she, you know, she remembers this. She, she wants to believe that these memories are valid, that they have, you know that they that they are in her mind because they happened but there's always that quiet lingering doubt well what if i did just dream all of this up what if i'm just crazy or what if you know it's it's not what if even if there is something spooky going on here what if it's not what i think it is you know there's that 
doubt. Uh, you know, there, there's that lack of absolute certainty. There's that lack of physical evidence that helps reinforce what you're saying. So, you know, you have to deal with that uneven footing, I guess you could say, that, you know, leaves you thinking, I don't, I can't 100% say that I'm, sh I'm positive. So that's a terror in its own right. Yeah. And I think that we get little hints throughout the entire miniseries that this is not a dream that she's going through. Everything that she's been experiencing is happening. Like the one scene in which while she's, uh, you know, drawing and then she's like trying to uh, get some sleep, there's the pencil stands up on its own and starts writing and then, you know, she starts, you know, writing as well. And then the pencil just scratches any uh, everything that she wrote. And then it wrote down, do you remember? And then when she woke up from that nightmare and Gavin is at her window, we see in the corner that do you remember is still there written on the paper. It's not like, you know, she's... Um, you know, it's not like the whole thing was a dream. It's like, it's it's leading up to the fact that this is actually happening. Exactly. And, yeah, sorry. No, no, no. It's, it's like, go ahead. But, but yeah, you know, there's that, uh, there's just that, yeah, again, this goes back, I think, also to that blending of realities, you know, between fact and fiction, you know, she made this story up, but her story is real. And, you know, again, she has to question how much of this is real, how much of this is just in my head. Right, right, exactly. Uh, so then um, later on, we have, um, we have uh, Rachel overhearing the conversation from Louise saying that she's going to be kicked out of the Midnight Society because of everything that's been going on. They think that she is trouble, that everything was fine before she came along. And so then she starts getting a little bit concerned, and so she meets up with Gavin. And, you know, they start talking it over a little bit, but then she decides to confront them, asking about, like, hey, do you remember what happened yesterday over at the carnival? And they have absolutely no clue. And so then she talks to them and gives them, like, information, like, do you, um, you know, where's your cell phone? Akiko is like, oh, I don't remember. I must have misplaced it. It's like, no, a bunch of clowns took it away. And... You know, Graham doesn't remember it. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah. you have to admit that is a very rare sentence. Where's my cell phone? A bunch of clowns took it away. <laughs> <laughs> Not a statement one normally hears. I know, right? <laughs> it's, that, that is something that a crazy person would, you know, tell you. It's like, hey, uh, where did you put your phone? It's like, I don't know. Last time I remember, some clowns took it. <laughs> yeah, you heard someone say that, and that would at the very least get some kind of reaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Uh. And so then, you know, she tells them that, the, you know, the, the, the this um, carnival um, might be possessed. That's probably making people forget about everything that's going on. And so then while, you know, she's trying to convince them otherwise, then we have another disappearance. So Gavin goes missing. And it's actually this really interesting scene while they were putting up signs for Adam uh, throughout the school. And then the ink starts to melt away until it's absolutely nothing. And then when Gavin is reported missing, she ch uh, Rachel checks her book bag. And it's actually um, missing posters for Gavin that she didn't create. 
So, you know, it's, it's actually, um, you know, really interesting about how that, you know, you know, transcends over time. And so that's basically the first two parts. And then the third part is when uh, Rachel says that she needs to defeat Mr. Top Hat once and for all. And the next time that there's going to be the carnival, they have to travel all the way to uh, to Idaho because um, that is where the carnival is going to be at. And that's where she used to live right before she moved to Oregon. Wow. And so they can't do that with a, without adult supervision. And so Akiko brings, uh, you know, convinces her older brother Hideo, uh, who is a police officer, to drive them all the way there. And they convince him to do it because they um, say that they saw Adam alongside with the carnival. And so that's when they decide to drive him. And this this scene right the scene that follows where Hideo is going over to the men's room. And, you know, you have that creepy scene where it's, like, really dark and you hear, like, a whole bunch of noises. And then scorpions start flooding the bathroom. It was, like, terrifying. Oh, man. Like, can you imagine going to the restroom, minding your own business, and then all of a sudden you see, like, scorpions crawling all over the place and you have no idea what to do. And you try to get out, but the door is locked. Mm Mm-hmm. And so then Ikiko uh, goes into the Ben's room because everybody else is too scared to go in. And then she finds um, Hideo being captured by Mr. Toppat over by the, the mirror. And she sees the same thing, except that she was able to escape. And so then they decide to convince Graham to drive them there because he's the only one who has a learner's permit, even though that he's terrified of it. And so they decide that they were going to use the masks from earlier in the miniseries so that they can be able to disguise themselves because they know that if they were able to go in, they'll be recognized immediately, which I thought was really clever. Very true. And uh, there's a very, you know, talking about the mirror does you know, make something come to mind. You know, all the, think about the classic fairy tales and old folk tales, especially ones that involve, like, shadow people or or the fair folk and so forth. There is a, a kind of that alien otherworldliness to Mr. Top Hat. You know, to, you know, like, especially when you think about the whole stealing children and then making people forget that, the carnival was even there. Like they don't remember that the kids were last seen at the carnival. They just remember that the carnival was there basically. Yeah. So we do get to know a little bit more of Mr. Top Hat's backstory where, you know, he wants to be able to make this carnival the biggest thing that he's ever done. And he pours all of his money and reputation into it. But because he was rushing everything, they weren't able to test out all the rides. And a good amount of the people died getting into the rides. We even have this little girl that Rachel has been seeing in her dreams. And it was told that um, her parents and her siblings, uh, no, wait, it's, it's her parents and then three other kids died while riding on this ride. And she was the only one who saw it and she remembered it. She was the only one who never forgot Mr. Top Hat. Mm-hmm. And so then... Mr. Top Hat is completely ruined, but then he is given this cane where it has all of his powers and he has the ability to go every, you know, travel around the country with his carnival. But the problem is that the moment that the carnival is over, everybody forgets. But the only, but he's told of a prophecy that there is one person who will remember him and will try to stop him. And so he has to be on the lookout for her. And that's what happens uh, there. So Rachel is the only one who remembers Mr. Top Hat and everybody else had forgotten. So then we have 
um, you know, them trying to uh, the, early in the in the movie, we have uh, one of the guys who's working for Mr. Top had give off a clue saying like it's actually the hat that gives him the power, but it was a complete lie to lead him into a trap. And then they actually get the cane and, you know, everybody's like memory start coming back. And then we have um, Mr. Top had kind of begging her to give her back the cane because he kidnapped her friends. And so then she's like, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to use the cane and I'm going to like shoot you. <laughs> it's like, why don't more people do this? It's like, that's a, that's actually a really good idea. It's like, I have the power. It's like, what are you going to do? You're threatening my friends. It's like, you got nothing, man. Yeah. There's, um, you know, thinking about it though, uh, there is the, and I'm about to bring up something that if anyone listening is familiar with live and wired comes up, like a lot, it seems like, but there is a little bit of a Stephen King vibe to the revival. I mean, in more in its themes than anything else. Um, the power of memory and the power of childhood, you know, versus the cynicism, the more cynicism of adult, and how certain things shouldn't be disregarded, you know, and also the important, the value placed on friendship, which you know that's something you see a lot of in media aimed at young people but it actually is pl it's it plays out in a certain way at the same time but not in a you know like i say it has elements from stephen king's work but it doesn't feel like a rip off of it it doesn't feel like someone stole one of his ideas it's more like someone saw the it two-parter and they realized wow, this is actually really popular with young people. Maybe we should pay attention to what this is doing right, but do our own thing with it at the same time. Yeah, the person who wrote, produced, and directed the revival was Ben David Grabinski, who was a huge horror fan, who loved the original and wanted to put in his own um, spin into it, while at the same time homage like uh, horror movies and such. Uh, I, there's this really nice article from Bloody Disgusting that re that you know brings up the references that he put into this miniseries. Like for example, some of the last names of the Midnight Society. Like uh, Rachel's last name is Carpenter after John Carpenter. Uh, Graham's last name is Ramey after Sam Ramey. Right. And we have um, you know Hideo, which is named after Hideo Kojima. The town that they're at uh, in Oregon is called Argento after Dario Argento. The school that they're at is called Herbert West Middle School after the guy from Reanimator. And yeah, and then there's even like subtle references to uh, the original Are You Afraid of the Dark? Like, for example, uh, when Gavin gives Rachel the pocket knife, he was saying, like, it was given to me by an older member of the Midnight Society and he passed it on to me. I believe that that was Frank's pocket knife. Because right. if if you remember, he actually moved away in one of the later seasons of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Mm -hmm. So he must have given this pocket knife away to this kid who, you know, probably he knew or something right before he left the series and he, uh, the, the, the group. And he was like, yeah, I mean, I believe in you. I think that someday you'll be able to join in with the Midnight Society. And it's actually interesting because I don't think that, um, you know, if you've ever seen The Tale of the Silver Sight, 
that it was started with um, Ben and uh, with uh, Gary and Tucker's grandfather, and then they continued it on like a family tradition. I don't think anybody in this series is related to Gary and Tucker. I think that Luis is their leader, and yeah, I think that they, this is like a completely new you know group. I have a theory that maybe as soon as Tucker was done being the leader, that maybe it was kind of stagnant for a few years until they decided to bring this back. I, I think that this is like um, it was even mentioned that you know they started like maybe a few years ago so i'm thinking that maybe that's what happened right Uh, and plus like you said it's been almost 20 years so maybe like you know it was still going for a long time and then it kind of stagnated but then like one of the like one of the later members who we never got to learn about told someone in you know the new group that we're seeing here that you know there used to be this really great group that you know we would get together and tell scary stories in the forest and so forth and then they show them the pocket knife and they're like yeah why aren't we doing this <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and not not to mention that in the um uh, in the last uh, part of the story, uh, we'll get to this later. So um, we have Rachel saving everybody, and we have Mr. Top Hat and everybody defeated, and um, everybody everything goes back to normal. And then that was when Luis and Akiko made the discovery that the reason why Rachel was able to remember Mr. Top Hat and everybody forgot was because she was the great great granddaughter of the girl who. Uh, was the only survivor of that um, explosion that happened in the ride. Like, the girl that she's been seeing in her dreams was her ancestor. Mm-hmm. And there's another theme, you know, the power of family and things being, you know, again, you know, the, that's another theme that was unique to the Midnight Society, the, you know, in the original Are You Afraid of the Dark series. There was this constant feeling of passing the torch where a new member would join every year or, t- or two and there would be like the idea that the midnight society would continue even if all the members we were familiar with were not there anymore exactly yeah and so we we have we have this conclusion with um adam stumbling across the midnight society while he's walking his dog that he w- we were seeing him doing earlier in the miniseries and then rachel decides to invite him and so then uh he starts telling the story he calls it like the tale of the return of the ghastly grinner so it's like there's a reference to the ghastly grinner which of course they had to do because that's like one of the most famous are you afraid of the dark episodes that ever aired, you know? And I remember when the first time I saw that, I actually got chills because that was creepy. Yeah. I mean, you essentially have this Joker character when he like smiles, you have this like blue goo that's going all over the place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like his smile just is so horrific that it drives people insane. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, so that's uh, pr- that that pretty much concludes that mini series. So overall, I think that once again, this is definitely one of the most successful revivals that we've gotten for Nickelodeon for sure. Like I haven't seen anyone that was like a you know like oh it was completely awful or oh it was unnecessary. Like the ones that have been coming out recently have just been home runs lately, and I hope that you know whatever with the next one. I know the next one is going to be their Rugrats revival, the ones that are going to be having like twenty six episodes and they're going to have the movie which i'm curious about the movie because it's going to be live action and the babies are going to be in cgi so that's going to be interesting Hmm. 
But you know I, what? I, I was proven wrong before, so I'm hoping to be proven wrong again. Very true. And uh, I was never the biggest Rugrats fan, but I did watch it. You know, so if nothing else for the people that, you know, were big, fa- huge fans of the show, because I know there are still those out there, I hope it goes well. I hope it, I, I really do, because I think it should. Yeah, for sure. So um, let me ask you something creepy. If you were to see like a revival based off of a Nickelodeon show, what would it be? One comes to mind and it's kind of odd. But okay. I ask, I wonder now, what would a revival of Clarissa Explains It All look like? You know, there were talks of it for the longest time. Like, Melissa Joan Hart was all for it. But, you know, it was announced, like, a few years ago. And the last time that I heard any new information of it was last year. I haven't heard anything of it since. But, I mean, I'm actually curious as to why. Because the revival of Lizzie McGuire is happening. I've seen pictures of... um, of Hilary Duff uh, and the rest of the cast reuniting with each other. So that's happening. And, uh, you know, with Girl Meets World and Raven's Home and Fuller House, those have been, like, really successful. So I don't know what's going on. I have, I I mean, I don't know what the update of the Clarissa reboot is, but I'm curious. I... I mean, like, you know, her, Melissa Joan Hart's autobiography was called Melissa Explains It All. It's clear that she has some fond memories of doing the show. And just, I sometimes wonder, like, how how would you do something like that? Because, honestly, the way I see it in my head is that it would basically be kind of like this, where Melissa is grown and has a teenage daughter of her own, and it's a back and forth between... Clarissa, the mom, explaining it all versus her daughter, insert name here, explaining (laughs) it all. (laughs) Right, right. Well, have you read Things I Can't Explain? Uh, I have not yet, and that's something I need to do because I have heard that it is actually a really, really good read. Yeah, I've read it a few years ago, and it's actually curious that if they were to do this reboot of Clarissa, would they follow up on things I can't explain? Because it takes place when Clarissa is 26 years old, and she is a failing journalist, and she is trying to, um, you know, sustain her life in New York City as an unemployed, overqualified journalist. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they, they go through, like, so many crazy stuff, like... You know, you have um, her meeting up with a guy that's uh, that she only gets for coffee and her parents confuse her for her boyfriend and um, confuse him for her boyfriend. And then you have Ferguson, who uh, has, time has not been kind to him. I'll just let you, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, and yeah, and it goes pretty crazy. I'll, I'll just say that. So, yeah, the spirit of the of of the of Clarissa explains it all is in things I can't explain. So I would recommend that you read it. But I bring this up is because um, if they are to follow up on it, it's like I would you know I mean like it takes place in New York City. So I would be interested to see if maybe um, Clarissa maybe if she doesn't find a good job in the city, maybe she'll move back to suburban life. I don't know. I'm curious to see what the. I mean, it would be nice to see have like a little contrast with, um, you know, in, with the original. It was in suburban life, and now we have, um, you know, maybe Clarissa, her husband, and her daughter in city life. So, 
that would be actually really interesting. I would I would like to see that happen. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I do think, you know, there is a story somewhere in there still. I, I'm trying to think, like, what's another uh, Nickelodeon show that I was a big fan of that would make for a really good revival? And, I mean, the other thing that comes to mind is the, well, it's not, it wouldn't be so much a revival as it would be a spinoff series, but there's the Pataki series that was talked about, I want to say briefly, around the time that Hey Arnold ended, but it was supposed, it was the idea of it was that uh, it would follow Helga Pataki in high school and she would be uh, sending like writing letters or sending email or whatever to Arnold, who by that point was staying with his parents uh, out of the country. Right. I still think that that's an idea that could work because one thing about Hey Arnold that we're, I, we're kind of getting off topic at this point. Not I mean, we're point. done with Are You Afraid of the Dark, so we might as well talk about it. Yeah. Uh, hey Arnold was the first series that made me like the bully character. You know, not just tolerate or feel sympathy for, but made me actually look at this character and I and think, I like this character. Why do I like this character? <laughs> you know, but the thing about Helga is that they took the idea of the bully and they made her layered and versatile. She wasn't a bully because she felt stupid. She was brilliant. If anything, she was even she was league smarter than Arnold was, just intellectually speaking. She was also really great at sports, and she could hold her own in a lot of different activities. Her antagonism towards Arnold came from her inability to reconcile her own feelings, specifically how they made her feel vulnerable. Like, caring about Arnold made her feel good, but it also made her feel very, very afraid. So, you know, there was this constant struggle inside of her, and I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to. For sure. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I, I think I remember um, somebody posting up a, a Spanish podcast where Craig Bartlett was interviewed by someone and he gave off a bit of a tidbit saying like, you know, season six of Hey Arnold might be a possibility if the Rugrats revival is a success. So that mm-hmm. means in order for us to get any more Hey Arnold, we need to make sure that Rugrats does well. So, you know, Hey Arnold fans, do your job. <laughs> all right i think that's pretty much it so once again creepy i want to thank you so much for coming on by uh, thanks for having me it was a lot of fun so yeah please uh, plug and promote your stuff uh there's my uh i have two youtube channels i have my main one that long-haired creepy guy and i have midnight wing theater where uh you could almost uh, split them down the middle. Like Midnight Wing Theater is mostly talking about bad stuff, but most of most of the, my main channel talks about shows that I really really enjoy. But I am starting something new for uh, Midnight Wing Theater, a show that I kind of like and that Kindle is more fond of. And I also have a new Scooby Doo retrospective coming up soon. Awesome, There'll and uh, pl- then also. 
me about that one, though. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, that sounds great. And and thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, let us know in the comments below about your thoughts on the Are You Afraid of the Dark miniseries. You know, who were your favorite characters? What was your favorite moment? Do you want to see more of it? Or do you think that this was more than enough for Are You Afraid of the Dark? What series from Nickelodeon from the past that you want to see come back? Uh, that's it. Uh, hope to see you around soon. Once again, happy Halloween. And thank you for listening. New school, new life, new locker With notes that make you wonder What kinds of stories Likes the Midnight Society She told the tales her